Hey, everyone. It's good to see you today. Uh, special Sunday today. Appreciate you, uh, all of you, be part of this church. It's just such a such fun uh, privilege for me to get to be part of this church with you guys. Uh, if you're visiting today, you've, it's an odd Sunday for you as we're getting ready for this merger and we're making these commitments. I hope no one felt any obligation to be, you know, to make a commitment today. You, you know, that's not uh, at all. We're not trying to twist anyone's arms. We're just uh, inviting everyone to respond to how Christ has served us and being a people of love and served by by God, uh, compelled by Him to love and serve uh, Austin with Him. That's man, that's really our heartbeat, and where I'm so excited about. Uh, getting to see what God has in store for us in this next chapter of Midtown Church. And today is a big day for that. But what we're going to do the rest of our morning together is going to continue the series that we've been in, uh, in the book of John. We're just going to pick up in that series. However, in light of the merger, I shared this last week, that uh, instead of just kind of marching through verse by verse in John like we had for a while, uh, we're not going to be able to finish uh, the book of John, the study in John, because of the merger. And so I uh, took it on myself just to pick three of my favorite passages that were left in the book of John. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I guess I get to do that when I'm preaching. So uh, we were in John 13 last week. We're going to be in John 15 this week. But before we get into it, I need you to imagine with me, if you will, for a second. Let's just pretend that you're at the mall. And I know no one goes to the mall anymore, right? I mean, I don't, can't remember the last time I've been in a mall. But you're at a mall or you're at some kind of office building and you're on the second floor and you need to get to the third floor. But the only way up is an escalator that's going down, okay? Bad architectural design. But the, the only way up is by an escalator that's going down. How in the world could you make progress? How in the world can you get up to the third floor if you were in that situation? Just by exerting a lot of effort, right? I mean, you can make it up that down escalator, but it's going to take a lot from you. But you can do it. Now, what, what would you have to do in that situation to regress, to go backwards, Nothing at all, right? You wouldn't have to make a misstep. You just wouldn't have to take any steps. Naturally, you would always be going the wrong way in that situation. Now, I'm going to make a very negative comment right here. This is very uplifting. Y'all ready for this? Life, my friends, is a down escalator. <laughs> life is a down escalator. I mean, we all know this, right? Like, in all of life, it, it takes a lot of effort to make progress. If you don't do anything, then you move backwards. You don't even have to just do the wrong thing. If you just don't do anything, you move backwards. Like, think about your body. Health-wise, you can take a lot of effort to be in shape. Not that I would know. But <laughs> it doesn't take any effort to be not in shape. And I do know about that. Think about skills and stuff like that you've learned along the way. A lot of effort to learn another language. I took, I took Russian in college. Four semesters of Russian at A&M. I haven't spoke a word of Russian since I graduated, and now I couldn't speak a single word of Russian to you. Like, hardly at all. Why? Because just naturally, I regress. When I don't do anything with it, I don't get better, and I don't stay the same. I go backwards. It's how all of life is. Romans chapter 8 talks about this principle, this principle of decay. And that it says that you know, uh, all of life is decaying. All of the world, all of creation decays. And because of it, it groans. It groans. That this is kind of the way the world is. Sad, isn't it? It's frustrating. To make progress, it takes a lot of effort. For things to go bad, things to go worse, it doesn't take any effort at all. It's just the way things are heading. Now I want to apply that to our character. 
Because the passage we're going to look at today applies to our character. And so character is, and for a very simple definition, character is uh, who you are when no one's looking, right? Who you are when no one's looking. When you're not putting on a face, when you're not having to, like, perform, like, who you are when no one's looking, that's who you really are. That's what you're really like. Like, uh, what are you like? Think about it. Are you an honest person when no one's around? Are you a joyful person? Are you a pure person? Are you an anxious person or are you a peaceful person? And what do you like when no one's around? Well, that's your character. Now think about growing in your character. How do you grow in your character? It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? It takes a lot of effort to grow in your character. It takes a lot of effort to grow in your character, doesn't it? So if you don't put that effort in, then you will not only just kind of stay the same, but you'll actually go backwards. It's the principle of the escalator, the down escalator. Like, because those flaws that once when you were young and you were idealistic and you're like, ah, I can change the world and I can, I'm not always going to be like this and I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better. Those things somehow over time, those flaws in you become just the way you are, right? And they seem to get more ingrained in you. And you kind of give up even trying to change them because it's like, no, I like how I am, even though I don't like how I am, but it is who I am and I want you to like who I am. So this is, you know, it's just like stuck in you and it gets more ingrained in you. I mean, how do you change that? How do you go from being an anxious person to being a person that's got a lot of joy and peace? How do you go from being an unselfish, I mean, going from being a selfish person to being an unselfish person? And can you even do that? I mean, really do that. Can you, can you go from being a greedy person to a generous person? I mean, how, do, how does that work? What, how, it, takes, it takes some effort, doesn't it? The passage we're looking at today in John chapter 15 is one of the primary passages of the Bible, uh, in the Bible that addresses how we can change, how we can grow, how fruit can be produced in us, how our character can change. The Bible has a lot to say on this topic, but perhaps this passage, more than any other passage, when Jesus speaks directly to this topic. And what he has to say is encouraging and convicting and so helpful. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to spend some time in it. Let me read it for you, and then we'll dive in. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Okay, let me get to it. There we go. Now, just a reminder of context. I said this last week, but all the passages we're looking at last week, this week, and next week all take place the night that Jesus is betrayed, the night before he's crucified. All right, so he gets away with his disciples, and at this point in time, he's with his 11 faithful disciples. Judas has already left to go betray him. So he's with his faithful 11, and he's having this, is basically right now what we're seeing is his long dinner conversation over the Passover meal, that he's passing on all this incredible teaching to them. John records all of this in all these last chapters of the book of John up to Jesus' crucifixion. And at some point over dinner, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And let me pray, and then we'll we'll, uh, start to unpack this. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the the unbelievable gift that it is that we can uh, abide in you, Jesus. And I pray that you would teach us what that means and that you would move us to do it so that you would, uh, Father, would receive glory. Others would receive blessing. We would know uh, complete joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's where we're going this morning. We're going to talk about um, why we can grow and then how we can grow and finally what results from our growth. Um. We might get to that last point. We'll, we'll see. See how we're doing. But uh, first, I just want to talk about for a minute why we can grow. And um, again, in context of life being the down elevator, like it's like sometimes you can get cynical and be like, well, I just don't know if I can change. I don't know if I, it's even possible. But what Jesus says here helps us know that it is completely possible for us to grow. And here's why. It's because uh, that it's all because of the Christian, uh, uh, as a Christian, we can grow and make changes in our character because of the intimacy of our union with Christ. What enables us to change, what enables us to grow, has everything to do with the intimacy of our union with Christ as a Christian. I mean, just think about the metaphor that Jesus uses here. Right? What's he say? I am the vine. You are the branches. That's verse five. I'm the, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Now, this is, here's what I want to point out. And I, I could spend a lot of time here, but here's just two things I want you to, to hear. First of all, this is an incredibly tremendous statement that speaks of the type of intimacy that we have with God. That Jesus doesn't go for a metaphor of any kind of human relationship here. He goes to the plant world to talk about the type of relationship that we have with him. Because no human relationship fully captures it. Not a king to a servant, employee to employer, not to a teacher to a student, not a parent to a child, not even a husband to a wife can fully capture the type of intimacy that we have with Christ as a result of putting your faith in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That when you put your faith in Christ, you are completely united with Christ, as Romans chapter 6 talks about. As Jesus would have just said to his disciples at the same dinner conversation recorded in John chapter 14, a chapter right before, he would have just talked about how we, how he's sending the Holy Spirit to them, that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit would come to indwell them, the, the very, if you will, lifeblood of God would come to live within them. That they are in Christ, and God is in them, This is incredible, friends. This is incredible intimacy. All human relationships that we can think of, with, like even the closest ones, you can have relationships that have great influence over each other. I mean, a parent's relationship to a child is incredibly influential, not just in how you interact, but even like the parents have departed some of their nature into 
the child, that's how the child was born. I, I won't get into too much details on that, but I think y'all probably know how that works, right? But, th- but that is different. Like that doesn't even go far enough for Jesus when describing the relationship that we can have with him. Because this relationship of a vine to a branch is a relationship of someone that's completely, the branch, completely dependent on the vine, receiving all of their life, all of their nourishment from the vine because the branch is not connected to the soil. The vine is. The vine pulls all of that up and then puts it into the branch, and that's how the branch stays alive this way. The branch thrives this way. The branch would bear fruit, which Jesus gets into in a minute. Guys, it's it's this kind of relationship, this kind of intimacy, this kind of dependence, this kind of life-giving and and. Like, interpenetration, constant exchange and partnership and transformation that Jesus is communicating through this metaphor that no human relationship would do justice to. That's, that's an incredible amount of intimacy. This is a tremendous statement that Jesus is making here. And as a result... Of this kind of union, we can change, we can grow. So that's the second thing I want to just point out is that, that what Jesus is saying here, Peter picks up on this in his, uh, in one of his letters in Second Peter. Now Peter was one of Jesus' his disciples. He's there for this dinner. He's listening to Jesus talk about this. And later on, he'll go to write. And I think he's thinking about this conversation when he writes this in Second Peter chapter one. And listen to how he describes what Jesus is talking about here. He says it this way. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, or other translations will say, the decay of this world caused by evil desires. Friends, do you hear that? Like, here's how we escape the down escalator when it comes to our character. How we escape the decay of this world. It's because... We're partakers of the divine nature. Like, how crazy of a statement is that? That is, that's theological words used to flesh out this biological metaphor of a vine and a branch. That's the kind of union. Friends, that's the kind of intimacy that we have with God through Christ. And because of that, we can change. Because of that, we can grow. Because of that, the selfish can become unselfish. Because you have the very lifeblood of God flowing in you where you as a branch can draw out the life of God so that in what he gives you can bear fruit to where you are like him. Now let me talk about this for real quick. Here's what fruit means. I used to think that fruit uh, as a pastor, I just kind of always go this way, but I was used to apply uh, uh, emphasis to fruit being like uh, ministry success. I don't know if anyone else, if that's, just a, if that's just a church guy or pastor way of thinking about things, but I, I've always thought about it as ministry success. And I do think that it, it has some kind of implication to that, but primarily it's very clear in this passage that what Jesus is talking about when he talks about fruit is he's talking about 
this growth in you to where you look more like Jesus. Your character represents Jesus more. That the fruit that, Je- that Jesus is saying is born in us as we abide in him as a branch to a vine and draws, the branch draws life out from the vine. The kind of fruit that is produced, friends, is the fruit that Paul gets in talking about in Galatians chapter 5. And he talks about the what of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. It's that kind of stuff. That Jesus is talking right here way more about what God wants to do in you than he's talking about what he wants to do through you. Now, certainly what he does in you leads to God doing more stuff through you. However, the fruit here is that you become more like Christ. Later on, Jesus will talk about that when he produces, God produces his fruit in you, the people will know that you're his disciples. Why? Because you look like him. You talk like him. You think like him. You act like him. Why? Because this fruit has been produced in you. Leads to more obedience to God. Why to more obedience? Because you're doing what God has said, and therefore you are doing what Jesus would do. That's the result of this fruit being produced in you. It's, it's personal. This is God making you into Christ. Into his character. That you would love people like he loves people. That you'd be gracious like he's gracious and generous. Like he's generous and a servant. Like he's a servant. And it's possible, friends. It's possible for God to do that in you. To grow you like that because of the intimacy of the union that we as believers have with Christ. Completely by grace. Two points of application real quick. The first is this. What this means for all of us is that we have to, we have to give up giving up on ourselves. All right? Just stop it. Just stop saying this is just the way I am. And that is just not a good theologically theologically true statement. You read John 15, there's no way you can read that and believe that and at the same time think, I can't change. Absolutely you can change. Don't buy into it. Don't grow cynical. Believe in the power of God. He can produce this fruit in you. It's not your power. It's his power in you that can do this because of your union with him. So do not give up on yourself. Believe that God can do this in you. You can change because God can change you. Second thing that this means is is we need to give up giving up on others as well. Okay? Don't, don't ever say, man, that person's got no hope. That person will never change. That's just who they are. Man, no. If they're a Christian, they have been united with God and therefore have the power of God in them to change them. If they're not a Christian, then friends, they do not have to change in order to become a Christian. They don't have to get their act together. They don't have to measure up. And therefore, then be able to be united to God. No, it's simply by the grace of God. And therefore, all they need is to respond to the calling of God with faith in order to be united with God and therefore have the power of God in them to change them. It's all God. So man, let us not at all give up on anyone else. It's interesting in this this passage in verse 7, Jesus will say this. He'll say, "Um, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
Now, in context, I don't think that Jesus is just like took a tangent to have a lot of conver- a, a general conversation on prayer. But in context, he is talking about prayer, but it's tied to what he's been saying in this whole "You're the vine, we're the branches" deal. And here's what he's he's saying: he's saying that when you get you're connected to me, that I can produce my character in you, that you can draw off draw out the life of God into you to produce God's character in you. And friends, don't have small ambition when it comes to God changing you. Ask, God, I'm so selfish. Can you please make me more like Jesus? I need you to make me unselfish. God, I'm so greedy. I'm such a control freak. I need to trust you. I need more peace. I need to be more generous. I need to, like, God, can you do that in me? And the answer is, whatever you ask, whatever you wish will be done for you. Jesus will see you through to where you are glorified in him. Which means that you and and the glorification, the theological term for that process, you will become like Christ. When we see Jesus face to face, we will be like him is what we're told. And the process between now and then is sanctification, it's God's work in your life making you like Jesus. Every prayer that you pray about God, would you make me more like Christ? Would you make me more giving? Would you make me more loving? Would you make me more gracious? God will answer every one of those prayers. It doesn't happen overnight, usually. But God will say yes to those because that's what he's doing in you and he has the power to do it. Friends, are you ever praying about that stuff? Am I ever praying about that? When was the last time you just prayed, God, I, I need you to help me be more holy, be more pure, to be more honest? Okay. He can change you. You can change. Why can we change? Because of the intimacy of our union with Christ. Now, second point. How? How does that work? <laughs> right? Okay, I, I see that it can happen, but how does it work? How does it work in real life? Well, um, I got to figure out how much of this I'm going to need to cut out. But uh, let me say it this way: there's there's two things in this passage where God makes it clear how this works. Jesus says it this way: He says that there's something that God does that leads to our growth, and there's something that we do that leads to our growth. The first thing He talks about is what God does. Now, because I've talked on this topic couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago i'm not going to spend much time on here but this topic is that what the father does to prune us leads to a further growth pruning or the bible talks a lot about uh, the discipline of our loving father using trials in our life to draw out his character in us and again talked about that just a couple weeks ago in the wisdom series that's one of the key things that god does to help us grow But the thing that Jesus gets most attention to in this passage is what we do that then helps enable our growth. And that is summed up in this word abide, which is repeated 10 times in these 11 verses. So it's a key thing, right? I mean, he's just over and over and over again. That we abide in him, or some translations would say remain in him, that through that we will grow that he will produce fruit in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But abiding in him, he can produce much fruit. Okay? Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to abide? 
simply stated, it looks like depending on, looks like being with, and then this is a little bit less clear, but it's this kind of drawing out from. So there's a branch is in the vine, depending on the vine, with the vine, but also drawing life out from the vine to produce fruit. Okay? Following that a little bit? Let me try to get practical. Jesus gives two examples or two, like two specifics in this passage about what it looks like to abide in him. The first is in verse 7 when he says it this way. He says, uh, he tells us to uh, abide in his word. And then in verse 9, the second thing he says is that we are to abide in his love. So abide in the word and abide in his love. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, abiding in his word is different, friends, than just reading the Bible for uh, you know, doctrinal knowledge or inspiration. That abiding in the, in the word is this kind of rich, like depending on, <laughs> resting in, and drawing life from. Okay, going back to those three things. To where you, well, in Colossians, Paul puts it this way. He says, um, well, we should let the word of God dwell in us richly. Or another example of this in Scripture is in the Psalms. In Psalm 19, we're told that, the, the, speaking of God's word, that his words are sweeter than the honeycomb to my mouth. So he goes on to talk about how he, he digests them with joy, takes them in, uses them for nourishment. That when we abide in the word, friends, it's, it's, it's looking to the word, God's word, his very word, to be the thing that tells you who you are and affects how you see everything else. That when you're in the word, abiding in the word, that you see the world through the grid of the world, of the word. So here's an illustration of what I'm talking about. Let's say, for example, that you are at work, uh, next week and during some time with other uh, co-workers in the break room. They start talking, and things in the company are not going well. And someone says, man, I don't even know if we will have a job by Christmas time. And that gets people going, and they're talking about that. Everyone's really fearful. What you do in that moment is going to be dependent on whether you're abiding in the Word. See, if, if you're abiding in the Word, then what that looks like is that you then think, okay, you know what, what does God say about this? Well, God says that I shouldn't be anxious about anything. That God says that he takes care of the very birds in the air, the flowers of the field, and I matter even more to him than they do. Therefore, I know that I don't have to worry because he cares for me. Okay, I know that. And so resting in that, drawing life from his word, you then have a completely different perspective than everybody else in that conversation. And what's res- what the fruit of that is, is peace. As opposed to worry and anxiety. You see how that works? Friends, to abide in the Word looks like regularly letting God's Word preach to you. Not just when you open it up, but it certainly starts there. You have to know it. But to regularly meditate on it and to let God talk back to you through it to confront you and your thoughts and your misconceptions and the lies that you believe, to let it preach to you, to, to, to meditate on it. Those are aspects of abiding in the Word. Friends, you, you memorize Scripture. You study it. You meditate on it. 
These are helpful disciplines that lead you to abide in God's word and that will produce fruit in you. But friends, it's like I said at the beginning, to go up a down escalator takes effort and that takes effort. This is not you making yourself more peace, uh, more, more peaceful. This is not you in the midst of that conversation saying, okay, I need to be full of peace right now, even though this scares me to death. (laughs) That's not what's going to produce fruit. It's abiding in his word and what he says, but the abiding part does take effort. You have to go there. You have to preach this to yourself. You have to know God's word. You have to let him speak to you. That does take the effort. Friends, are you doing that? Do you know how to study God's word? Do you know how to meditate on it? If you don't, man, talk to me. I'll get you hooked up with a number of people in our church who would love to help you grow in that. We can grow by abiding in God's word. The second way we grow, runs short on time. The second way we grow is by abiding in his love. And friends, this might be the most important thing I can say here. It's because... The glory of the gospel is that its message is that all you have to do is recognize that you have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. You admit that you're a sinner and you look to Jesus Christ, God the Son, as your Savior. That His death and His resurrection pays for your sins. And at that moment that you believe that, at the very moment that you trust, and not necessarily having perfect trust, just trust. Like, it's not about this. It's not about the strength of your trust. It's about the object of your trust. Jesus is the object of our trust. You have just faith in him. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. But not just that. But you're completely pardoned of all wrongdoing. You're no no longer, though you were guilty, you're no longer condemned. And you're adopted into God's family. And you're forever made a son or daughter of God. And you're given Christ's perfect record. That you're in Christ. That his record counts for you. And here's what this means. And friends, I would die for this. This is, this is one of the truths that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. This is, a, this is what makes the gospel such incredibly good news. It's one of the things, at least. It's this. That the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you are completely loved by God. And hear this. You can't possibly be loved by him any more than you are at that moment. That God's love knows no degrees. That God's love does not wane to and fro on our good behavior. That it's all because of what Christ has done for us. That we have God's love. And when Christ looks, when God looks at us, he sees us in Christ. We are spotless. We are blameless in him. And we have all the love from God that we could possibly have at that moment. And so you have a good day. God loves you that same way. You have a bad day. He loves you the exact same way. So when Jesus talks here about abiding in his love, he is not saying that you need to do certain things to get God to love you. What he is saying is that when you abide in his word, abide in his love, then you are living in a constant realization, belief, 
joy-filled embrace of God's constant, ever-flowing love towards you in Christ. When you abide in his love, it means to live in a way where you are fully recognizing that God loves you. And you're drawing life from that. And you're depending on that. And you're, you're connected to that. And man, if you do that, it'll lead to fruit. This merger has scared me to death so many different times. Today, this morning, I have all week long been worried about this morning. And here's why. Because we did this big vote. Almost every single person in our church votes to merge. But the vote was that we believe that God's leading our church to merge. And I'm left with these doubts. Well, what if that is like, well, God's leading our church to merge, but maybe that doesn't mean he's leading me to merge, right? And so like, I'm, I'm with Midtown until they move and then I'm out. And today, today is the opportunity for people to say, no, I'm in. Like on an individual basis, I'm in. And I'm like, well, what if this goes bad? What if no one's here? What if they don't even want to be here for this? Or what if they, no one makes any commitments? And I just get in my head, worry, worry, anxiety, stress, which then leads to anger and being short at home and just, oh man, it's just terrible. It's terrible. But friends, when I would stop and I would abide in love, in God's love, it changed everything. It produced all kinds of different fruit in me. When I would stop and recognize that the God of the universe who is in control of all things loves me? (sighs) I could rest. I could actually not just experience peace, but I could have joy. I could look forward to this morning. Because I know that my security, my foundation, my peace isn't found on the outcome of this morning but on that Easter morning when the tomb was found empty. It's just so much peace, so much joy. The fruit of the Spirit produced as I abide in love. We're making giving commitments. Chris and I have been praying about that. We made our commitment today just like many of y'all did, I know. And I don't know about you guys, but man, I do that. Every time I'm praying through that, (laughs) I feel greed in my heart. I recognize how much my security I look to, how much of... Uh, of my security I, I place in my money. I start getting worried about that. I abide in his love. What happens? Yeah, I know. The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. What do I know? I know that God would not hold back his own son from me. Why would, not, why would I think that he wouldn't provide for what my needs if God would love me so much and be so generous to give his son, then man, I'm moved and compelled to want to be generous in response to what he's done for me. And abiding his love, I am then moved to be generous instead of being greedy. I'm moved to worship him instead of worship at the idol of money. Friends, abide in his love. Are you bitter? Abide in his love. Remember how you, much you've been forgiven. Let his grace towards you move you to be able to be gracious and forgiving. I could go on and on. I just don't have time. But friends, this is what it looks like. Abiding in God's word and abiding in his love. Are you doing it?
If you do, here's what will result. Just bullet points here, but they're so good. See, what will result, and of course, fruit results, but what's the result of the fruit? What's the result of the growth? Jesus says three things. I just hit them real quick, 8 through 11. Let me read again. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What results, friends? Glory for God. Glory for God, because it's him producing this fruit in you. And as you are, have this fruit produced in you, you reflect what Jesus is like. People come in contact with you. They see your peace. They see your joy. They see your generosity, your servant's heart. They get a picture of what God is like. That's what we were designed to do in the first place. God receives the glory. God gets glory. Glory for God is one thing that results. The second thing that results is blessing for others. Blessing for others. What was the fruit of Jesus keeping the Father's commandments? She talks about here. What was the fruit of that? Our salvation was one of the fruits of that. That is an incredible blessing for us. Well, not that when we obey and keep God's commandments, we have this fruit produced in us, do we save others? We don't. Jesus is the one who saves. But it leads to blessing for others. I mean, how many spouses, how many, how many kids would say, man, if my, my, uh, if my dad, if my mom was abiding in God, Abiding in Christ and having him produce this fruit in me, it would be a blessing for me. They would be more joyful to be around, more gracious to be around, more loving to be around. And when you have this, when God's producing this in you, it's a blessing for others. And then the last thing here is joy for you. Glory for God, blessing for others, joy for you. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I could go on and on about what this joy looks like, but let me just go back to a couple of the illustrations I just gave. Thinking about what are we going to give? I'm tight, I'm tense. Think about what Jesus gave, abiding his love. I reflect on God's word, what he says to me about his care for me. I move to be generous, and I'm joy-filled. Like, it's really like I want to do it. Think about control and the issues with the merger and all the things that I worry about reflect on how Jesus has loved me, God's control and his care. I go from being anxious and easily angered to being at peace, able to relax and fun to be around. Friends, when we abide in him, he produces great fruit in us. And the result of that is his glory, the blessing of others, And our joy. Are you abiding, friends? Are you abiding? Are you depending on? Are you being with? Are you drawing life from? Our incredible union with Christ afforded to us by his death and resurrection, his incredible love for us. We can grow. We can change. By his power, let's abide. Let me pray, and then I've got a couple of announcements, and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We love you. We love because you first loved us. God, may we abide in you. May we uh, depend on you and be with you. May, may we draw life out of you from your word, God, from your love for us. And Lord, may 
May you be honored as a result. You receive the glory. Others receive blessing. We receive joy. God, may we, may we do the hard work of abiding in your word, preaching to ourselves your truths, and abiding in your love, constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves that we would remember what you have done for us and who you are and who we are as a result. May we go from here doing those things by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.